if you think of like Declan Rice and all these really good players in that position. Why the fuck? Well, like, why did you go to Declan Rice? <laughs> especially when you were talking about mobility. What is that about? Why do you still have a fascination with Declan Rice? For someone who works in the media and knows exactly what all your pals in the media are like, it's amazing that you haven't just cottoned on that they've all been fucking tricked by Declan Rice's reputation from being in the England team to thinking that he's just some sort of elite player. Chelsea are going to spend 100 million quid on him and then it's going to be the next Harry Maguire. It's going to be fucking brilliant. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took Alright, I have to say something. Do you know when people tweet us excited that Aston Villa have lost? <laughs> no. I only take that. <laughs> I only take that two ways. There's only two possible ways I can take that. Number one, people enjoy me and you being fucking miserable. They enjoy <laughs> our weekends being ruined. They enjoy the stomach being ripped from the two of us. Or number two, they think we've lost it. They think we can't cope with Aston Villa winning. They think they think our first album was better, preferred their earlier stuff. That, that, that's all I get. That's the two possible scenarios. And sometimes I think it's both at once. When Aston Villa <laughs> lose a game and people are happy, well, at least I can listen to the Villa podcast again. That won't be shit. They won't be, they won't be filled with positivity. It'll be back to the good stuff. Back before they got shit. It'll be, it'll be seasons one to nine of The Simpsons. That, that, that's all I hear from this. <laughs> yeah, they won't be fucking praising Callum Chambers. They won't be talking about Bertrand Trory being the best sub in the world. Useless <laughs> bastards. Uh, so do you want to do you want to open it up with the misery that everybody wants? <laughs> I, I, I think when you think about this game, like we, let's be honest here, we emptied the tank against Saudi Arabia, and we sh- probably should have picked up some fucking oil when we were when they were in town because. We were really running on fumes against Brentford and Fulham, and we fucking just about made it up the M6, I would say, and we were pushing the last couple of kilometers through through Manchester there. <laughs> and if we're being really, really honest, it's a fucking Ford Mondeo that we're pushing as well. And as much as I'm happy to have Unai Emery holding the wheel, like I said, when you're calling on Callum Chambers and Bertie T from the side of the street to give you a hand pushing it, you're not going to get very fucking far. <laughs> and And that game against Saudi Arabia as well, because we spanked them, that motivated them to spank Spurs. And then that motivated Spurs to cover their little red arses and fucking come back against Man United. And then that fucking spurred Man United on to get their act together against us. I mean, if, if that game was over in the first half as well, though, we, like, we couldn't really have had very many complaints. Well, not about the score anyway. I'm sure we would have come up with one or two things to complain about in terms of the manner of the defeat, which is what which would be, which would have made everybody happy, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think after the Saudi Arabia game, there was so much attention. We finally got the media attention we were craving, but then when we got it, I was thinking, ah, they don't understand that we are driving them on Deo. They're just thinking, oh, look at this car that's coming flying from the backfield, and they don't realise that there's no gas left in it. There never was. It was just Emery working some magic, economical Emery getting through the track better than every other car that, was, that we were racing against. Can we stop this analogy right now? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the Bertie T and Callum Chambers thing was the example it was given to people. I think we all saw it then at Brentford and Fulham. Amazing that we got four points at lose to as well. But it was coming. Like we can't, 
how much longer can we go without losing the game? It's going to happen at some stage. <laughs> and yeah, like that that really shows it off. Every time we get the updates, the the the, the worst updates in the world, let's say, you know, Cash and Coutinho and Kamara and Bailey not available that's the update that we get every single week before every game and it's like well, who else is there it's like we've got we're going to bring on chambers at right back for ashley young 37 year old ashley young who's played over 30 games this season and we're going to bring on bertrand Sorori for the crack we brought him back from turkey for a reason and then and then we might throw on john duran for the last four minutes if we're really desperate and that's that's it this is what you and i emory's been working with but i think with all the momentum all the results all the great performances the the media at large didn't really appreciate that and we were all probably thinking ah this isn't going to keep going is it we might bounce back we might but like we have to bounce back with exactly the same vehicle yet again yeah and even if you think about the end of the game you know as the game progressed and the the anxieties of man united's last few results was settling in across the stadium we had an opportunity to create a few opportunities and there were there were moments we could look back on with regret but like you know again we didn't we didn't really deserve anything and when it came to those dying minutes we had a lot of we had a lot of resources a lot of options a lot of opportunities on the pitch but we fucking we managed injury time worse than fucking maduro manages the economy i mean there were obviously some malevolent outside forces at play as well but most of it was just our own stupidity and mismanagement and profligacy and that that probably is the most galling thing that once again with a shit performance we could have fucking snatched something at the very end yeah could have snatched something so much so that I think you might raise an eyebrow at some of the Rosenthal nominations that I managed to shoehorn in there. The <laughs> it looks like Aston Villa played really well in this game, and I might be able to make a case for it later on in the podcast. But the the only goal, the only deciding factor in the match, did come in the first half, and we can add our own goal kicks to our biggest threat. Our our own we can't be caught open. You can't be caught open from your own goal kick. It's hit down the field. Hit down the field and one header. It's a fucking amazing header from Casemiro. I mean, how that bounces off his head, how far it goes. But that's it. That's it. They're in. Casemiro gets up above the midfield as the ball's clear down from our goal kick. And Man United are in. I mean, there was there was a time there was a time that ball would just be headed back in the direction the Casemiro headed it, and then it would be headed back in the our defence again, and you have to earn the right to get the ball down and play, but no more, <laughs> not against Aston Villa, because it's headed, it's headed in between Kanza and Mings. <laughs> it's headed <laughs> into that Bermuda triangle between our two centre-backs, and if anybody's been watching tapes of Aston Villa, Marcus Rashford has been watching tapes of Aston Villa, and he realised... Nobody seemed to pick anybody up in there. I'm going to just spend the whole game in there and watch how I ghost in behind every single time. And yeah, he ghosted in behind from Casemiro's headed clearance. His headed clearance from our goal kick. His shot is decent. I'm inclined to say Martinez could do better. He does parry it out. It's not like a weak parry, but he parries it straight into the run of Fernandez. <laughs> I don't know if he should be looking to see where Fernandez is or is he just... Is his, is his instinct right to parry it wide but Fernandez runs in Fernandez gets a bit of luck because Moreno comes in to block it that takes it over the keeper and over Mings and I mean Fernandez has the gall to go away and give the crowd the why always me celebration after he's just scored a deflection yeah 
and I, I would have always thought that Aston Villa conceding a goal was the, the thing that annoys and upsets me most, but I got a bit of an insight into my own psyche yesterday. It turns out I was wrong. It turns out the camera being on Bruno Fernandez's face is the thing that bores away most at my fucking soul. It turns out <laughs> turns out Bruno Fernandez standing there asking, what do you think of that? After he missed an open goal, <laughs> after after he kicked the ball into a defender and the unintentional spin imparted on the ball by the fabric of Moreno's sock and the moisture on the fucking ground takes the ball inadvertently into the net. What do you think of that? Not fucking much. What do you think of you? Even less, pal. Like he peeled away as if he just, as if he hadn't just missed an open net. Fine, celebrate your team scoring, obviously, but don't stand there like fucking Eric Cantona. Don't stand there as if you run from the halfway line, play the one-two, and thank the keeper from twenty-five yeah. yards out. Don't don't stand there as if seven or eight weeks ago you didn't quit mid-game against your biggest rivals and captain your club to its worst defeat in its fucking history. I mean, his <laughs> performance in that match was a bigger stain in Man United's history than Eric Cantona's Kung Fu kick. Lads a moron. <laughs> anyway, the goal, cons and Ming's starting positions are dreadful, let's be honest here. How yeah. can they be that misaligned from a goal kick? And Kanz's reaction to the header is even worse then. It's like he didn't know... So like he didn't know Rashford was there, yeah. which might explain his starting position, to be fair. And then he never really looks like he's desperately trying to get back. It just never looks like he's running at full speed. And maybe he was waiting for Rashford to shift the ball a bit more to his right to get the shot away. I don't know, but it looked bizarre. And Emmy Martinez, Jesus Christ, talk about being kind, Conan. Fair play to you. Like he must still have that fucking stomach bug because he shits himself from that shot. Like, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing on it, and he makes a meal of it. And the meal runs right through him, obviously. But he, he, he can't get off the turf then as well. It was like he was, like he couldn't get off the fucking toilet last week. I'm, 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 I'm sure it was heavy. It was a heavy oil ground, but you're not fucking running an entry here, pal. Stand up. And, and, and once. And then once the two of them are scrambling back onto line, they're obviously in big trouble. And like I said, Moreno does brilliantly to make Bruno Fernandes miss. And then the ball ends up in the net unrelated to what Bruno Fernandes had just done. <laughs> yeah, it's not only that Bruno Fernandes missed hit it, or he missed uh, and he got lucky. It's it's that it was from a rebound as well. Like yeah, You're saying it's not like he took the pitch or he chipped the keeper. He just got on to the end of a rebound and he hit it off our defender and it went over... With over both Mings and Moreno, and they and they wheeled away like wheeled away like Pierre Emerick Aubameyang missing a penalty against Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> but he hit that rebounding better than anybody could. Fernandez did say afterwards about the Aston Villa fans. He said they probably don't like to play against me. I would prefer them to come and support their players rather than focus on me. Yeah, nobody likes playing against you because that means we have to fucking look at you on the pitch. Literally on the fucking pitch, lying down on it. To look at your fucking pitch. Fucking Jaden Sancho is telling you to stop moaning. What does that tell you about your own personality? He doesn't want to play with you. Of course we don't want to watch you play. There was one other person we didn't have to look at as much because he doesn't like to stop the game. He doesn't like the camera to be on. <laughs> he likes to let it flow. And he comes all the way from Australia. His name is Jared Gillett. And there was just a couple of incidents. I mean, Casemiro absolutely destroyed Jacob Ramsey. I mean, Casemiro can't get away with the Paul Scholes. Oh, he's just not a good tackler. <laughs> Casemiro, <laughs> we know he's a good tackler. And we know that his position is to break up play. And he does it really well, usually. But he did this. He did this after Bruno Fernandes, our friend Bruno, is lying down on the ground 
because somebody pulled his shirt back. It was a foul, I think. Moreno pulled him because Moreno was dallying on the ball. A what the fuck moment. And Fernandez comes in and takes it off him. Moreno pulls him and kicks the ball away. Fernandez falls down, holding himself because his shirt was pulled. Still the play on. That's annoyed United. It's annoyed the crowd. Casemiro. If one person can get the crowd going, if one person can play to that gallery, it's Casemiro. So he just says, fuck this. Slides in on Ramsey. Standing foot. The ball's on his other foot. Comes straight through him. Big cheer. The play's finished. Everybody's delighted that we've got a bit of justice back our own way. The ref doesn't even give a yellow. He's not interested at all, is he? No, absolutely not. Gillett, the best a man United can get. I mean, he (laughs) got himself into a fucking right ladder watching Casemiro cutting people down as well. Running around the pitch like a scumbag is probably a more appropriate way to phrase it. Like, he definitely... Casemiro should have been booked twice in the first 10 minutes. The one... Like the one on Ramsey, the slide tackle begins on the fucking center circle and ends on Ramsey's ankle on the sideline. And when you let when you let tackles like that go, it not only frees Casemiro up to keep doing it because he hasn't been booked, but he also now knows he's freed up mentally because he knows that Gillard is mental. And yeah. look, as a general principle, I'm all for letting it flow, but letting it flow can't be controlled by someone who's fucking brain stops neurotransmitters from flowing because the space between the synapses are as far apart as Gareth Southgate's perception of Harry Maguire's defensive abilities and reality. <laughs> and the, and then to top it all off as well, they had fucking Michael the Artful Dodger as the VAR, you know, robbing the 14, the other 14 blind for the last 14 seasons. It was a disastrous, <laughs> disastrous performance in those two nutcases. Nutcases is right because you know there was a Villa player that avoided a yellow somehow as well. It was John McGinn. John McGinn was just asking for a yellow for five minutes just to he wanted something. He just wanted to be he wanted to be have a slap in the face. Just give me something like you know I deserve it. And Gillett didn't do it. He barred right into the back of Ericsson. It was coming from a mile away. It was coming for five minutes. Just jumped in these back and Ericsson fell over and Gillett thought, ah, come on, lads, come on, let's we're all we're all big boys here and then Callum Chambers at least comes onto the pitch and knows he knows that like what, what way this game's going about now. He knows who's in charge. He knows he's the man in the middle, and he gets done by Anthony on the left wing for United, and he just pushes him, he just <laughs> into him, pushes him over the sideline, turns around, retrieves the ball, and carries it away. And it's like, well, at least one person is playing the referee. <laughs> but he's absolutely right he's also playing the man there as well he knows if he had it as breathed or not he would have felt fall over the sideline so he didn't exactly have to shove him that much and he would just retain possession particularly with Gillett in the middle of the pitch alright let's leave that there and we'll go to WhatsApp Hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Couple of finds. Uh, Tom got in touch on Twitter to say, does Martinez realize he's only supposed to waste time when we're ahead? And, you know, maybe we should praise Martinez. He didn't get a yellow card. Maybe he only gets a yellow card when we're ahead and he's time wasting. <laughs> maybe that's what it's about. Maybe because Jared Gillett doesn't give out yellow cards. I wonder, was, was Tom actually referring to the fact that Martinez caught a ball from a from a corner, I think it was, or from a cross, and then his automatic reaction was to flop to the ground and hold the ball to waste time. And he realized, oh, fuck, and he popped up and had to throw it out. Is that why <laughs> I, certainly, I certainly noticed that anyway. <laughs> Uh, two classics. Douglas Louise pinged one of his left foot out to Moreno out for a throw in. Like it's always Moreno, but it's just this was annoying because he, he was looking forward, walking to running. Louise just said, Ah nah, come on, I, I've got something better in mind. Let's see if let's see if Ten High can catch this one. <laughs> he just thrilled it <laughs> to the sideline. Then Moreno in the second half just ran one out for a goal kick. I mean he should be getting double fined like we spoke about last week. We know we know he can retrieve that on the end. <laughs> He's holding back on us. If he can make up that ground and block Fernandez, he can make up the ground and get his own dribble. Come on, get it. <laughs> there was another one as well where I think Ramsey was playing at the Marino and he just kicked it straight out of play for an end line. And like you said, I'm not sure. It's probably a double fine, one for Ramsey and one for Marino for not just getting on the end of it. Yeah. The McGinn shot, John McGinn, wasn't as far out as a normal McGinn shot, but it was on his right foot, and it was always going wide, which is the worst shot of all time. When you see a ball <laughs> going wide, the moment it leaves the foot, it's just unacceptable. And I'll tell you who else is getting fined in this same shot. Leander Dendonker for proceeding to high-five John McGinn for the worst shot I've ever seen. <laughs> I would have done the same, John. <laughs> Well, he wouldn't have, of course. He would have turned down this chance of shoot, thank God, despite what the the nutcases in Villa Park want them to do. First WhatsApp whinge. So is Bundia just never going to shoot again? <laughs> Nick actually got in touch on Twitter. He said, is trying to find out just how low the Vimin meter goes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wasn't that frustrated. A lot of people were. I, I was just frustrated that he had a couple of chances to shoot and he prepares to pull back. And I mean, when he's in the box, I don't mind him creating and creating spaces, but like he's in the box. We're not getting many shots. I have to tell you, you shoot. You've got the space. Even for the one for our biggest chance, I think he could have shot as well. I mean, he does quite well afterwards, but he, he should be shooting before he tries to play that to Watkins. There was one where he tried to play an absolutely ridiculous ball to Ramsey, who I think had been followed by Dallow. And I think Casemiro realized that Ramsey was running through as well. And Ram the angle of Ramsey's run was taking him into Lindelof. And fucking Bundia tries to find him, even though Bundia had, had more space himself and also could well have just shot. It's shifting it onto his other foot a lot of the time. Dummy and the men, which can sometimes work really well. But I think in that game, seeing as we had one shot in target, it wouldn't have been a bad idea for someone just to have a fucking spank every once in a while. So long as it wasn't John McGinn on his right foot. <laughs> I'll tell you who would have had a spank if he was there. 
Leon Bailey against David De Gea. Just, yeah, let's see what he can do with this. Sometimes he can't do much of it. Sometimes it goes in because De Gea wants to save it with his feet and he can't sometimes. <laughs> Bertrand Chirori. What about Bertrand Chirori as well? Trying a few nutmegs. I'm just reminded of this now with um, Buendia not, you know, just not having that urgency, that, that cotton instinct to go and shoot. We were on a counter-attack at one stage and Bertie T was just trying nutmegs on people on the wing. It's like, come on, move the ball. <laughs> yeah, Bertrand Trory didn't exactly uh, light the place up like he first did when he came back from Turkey yesterday. That he was completely, completely ineffective substitution, and he did slow the game down a lot too much, which was particularly annoying when we had the ball and we had a lot of momentum. And Malassius, I don't know where, where was Malassius in that second half? He must have just sat in the crowd. How many times was just a gaping hole down that side of the pitch? <laughs> yeah, the second nomination when. Are Old Trafford going to grow up and sort out the fucking ditches around the pitch? <laughs> I didn't know whether to say is Old Trafford or are Old Trafford. Like it must be a plural. It must be a team of Old Trafford people deciding that we need to keep this pitch like a moat. Like <laughs> let's just put a river around the fucking edge. What is going on? This is Manchester United. Like this shouldn't happen in any professional football ground. Never mind the theatre of dreams. Like, <laughs> fucking crazy how dangerous it is. Anybody goes anywhere near the sideline. I remember some, like, yeah, asking someone this before and it's like, it's for drainage. Put fucking pipes under the <laughs> ground. We don't need to see it. We don't need to see the drain, the literal drain, the fucking moat, like you say. It's ridiculous. And if it is for drainage, how is it not filled up? Where is the river? There's a good question to ask, Colin. <laughs> John McGinn went sliding down at once and everybody cheers as well. This is the thing. Everybody thinks it's hilarious. It's not. It's <laughs> hilarious until somebody, like, actually breaks their leg. There was one time, in fairness, United are using it to their advantage. Alex Moreno went, all he's doing is clearing the ball. He clears the ball out for a side. He gets like a throw and he gets there before the United player. But because he's, he's at the sideline, if he stumbles down the hill, <laughs> he's actually running out the tunnel. He goes past the two dugouts. He's way into the tunnel. Meanwhile, United throw the ball in our left-back's absence because he can't get back up the hill in time. It's, remember, it's a wet day as well. The drainage is working perfectly. <laughs> Baz on Twitter got in touch. This is the third WhatsApp one. <laughs> he said, Then Donker running is like he runs from his knees down. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't unsee it once you see, you see that. <laughs> he, doesn't, he, he doesn't use his hips at all, does he? It reminds me a bit. It's not exactly how he runs, but in terms of athleticism for defensive midfielders, which is always weird. Sam Whelan, it was always like, why do we have the least mobile person in the world doing the job where the most mobile person on the pitch should be? If you think of like Declan Rice and all these really good players in that position. Why the fuck? Why did you go to Declan Rice? Especially when you were talking about mobility. What is that about? Why do you still have a fascination with Declan Rice? He's a big stallion. For someone who works in the media and knows exactly what all your pals in the media are like, it's amazing that you haven't just cottoned on that they've all been fucking that they've all been tricked by Declan Rice's reputation from being in the England team to thinking that he's just some sort of elite player. Chelsea are going to spend a hundred million quid on him, and then it's going to be the next Harry Maguire. It's going to be fucking brilliant. Get get strapped in for that. And you were talking about mobility as well. We're currently doing a podcast about the Premier League. Just saying, Golo Kante. <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I just 
No, in fairness, Canty also fits this category, but I, I, I like, I like people who cover the ground easily. Cover the ground, go to Canty. So, yeah, Declan Rice can too, and I know Glenn Whelan can't. I, I just think if I look at Declan Rice and Glenn Whelan running side by side, it's way easier for one of them than it is for the other. Yeah, like that's that is the faintest of faint praise I have ever heard. He moves, he covers the ground better than Glenn Whelan. The fastest Glenn Whelan ever moved is whenever his own teammates were on the ball and he was jumping in behind an opposition player so he couldn't fucking receive it. <laughs> but back to the original point, I'm delighted someone was able to identify, despite how bizarre it was, was able to identify some part of Leander Dendonker's body moving yesterday because I couldn't fucking see it. <laughs> he was fairly anonymous yesterday, wasn't he? At least... In the Newcastle game, he didn't do much on the ball, but he broke the play up really well in that Newcastle game. And then the following games, didn't do much again on the ball, but he was, you know, he, he was there. I just don't know where he was yesterday. <laughs> like, he must have been working Malasia. <laughs> I probably saw Moreno running into the dugout and thought, that's a really good fucking idea. And he followed him <laughs> in, but he just didn't come back out. <laughs> we'll leave that there and then we'll go to the award categories after this I've been letting you down down. you think you think Harry Maguire is a bigger loss than Harry Kane yeah I do you lose Harry Maguire that's a big problem for Gareth Southgate his biggest problem? Yeah, I think it's his biggest problem. The situation got out of hand. I hope you understand. Are you mental? It can happen to anyone of us. This is analysis that you have to pay to get. <laughs> That's bollocks on so many levels because like number one is Harry McGuire. Oh god, I cannot believe. That Harry Maguire has played six games this season and he's made the same mistake five times. Number two, the drop off from Harry Maguire to Tyrone Mings is not what Gary fucking Neville thinks it is. And I remember we were saying, Harry Maguire. Gary Neville, for some reason, has disappeared up Gareth Southgate's arse. I think we've got the best manager we could possibly have for an international team. I just don't know why Gary Neville is persistent in trying to talk him into Franz Beckenbauer. He's a fucking siren calling England the shipwreck. I think with Harry Maguire injured, I think the ability to go to a back four is lost. He was by far the worst player on the pitch. Come He's on, uh, really shit. <laughs> Imagine Harry Maguire was missing. Harry Maguire! <laughs> but it's absolutely unbelievable how whenever you play a ball to a fridge, you end up conceding the chance. The most blocks, most interceptions, most headers, most tackles. For Man United, he <laughs> had more blocks than Lindelof. He just cannot get the ball out of his feet. 
And I know he cost 80 million, so it must be difficult for people to, to make the link that he's actually shit, but just make that link. Harry McRae. 50% of Gareth Southgate's preferred team started the Champions League final three weeks ago. We've collected more trophies in England than Harry Maguire has convictions in Greece. Harry Maguire! You would pick a team with Maguire and Calvert-Lewin rather than Mings and Harry fucking Kane. Uh, oh, oh, apologies to the fans. There's no emotion behind it. England's most important player is Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire! <laughs> that is just insane stuff. Grow up, Gary Neville. We have to go straight to the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Jacob Ramsey just standing on the ball, letting Casemiro take it off him. Leads straight to a Rashford chance, I suppose. That's a classic of the old Aston Villa, isn't it? Maybe the Dean Smith Aston Villa. People in midfield just holding the ball until someone takes it off them. And then that someone plays the ball in between Tyrone Mings and Esri Kansa. And they get a chance. <laughs> yeah, like he, he didn't give it to Moreno. He did. He looked at Moreno, didn't really like the pass, and I think he was right to not like the pass. But then his turn inside was too slow. He was like a fucking sausage on a barbecue, and he he didn't he didn't even know where he was going once he turned inside. So it was like, what are you bothering to do that for? Just roll to Moreno, move again, and get it back off him. Luckily enough, fucking Rashford was having flashbacks of watching the World Cup final when he saw Big Emmy staying tall, and he tries too hard to get it past his left foot and puts it past <laughs> the post as well. Well, speaking of Big Emmy, I do not need to see him doing a Pepe Arena on it. <laughs> you know, the, the the joy of seeing how well he's been able to adapt to the sweeper-keeper task is, is that it's been the anti-arena, like the anti-arena against Leicester. I don't, I don't want to see my keeper ever again coming out at Villa's right-back slot, appearing in the bottom of the screen, and me go, what the fuck? What the f-? <laughs> yeah, and... Don't go to ground if you're the last man outside your box as well. If you can't use your hands anymore, Amy, you better be fucking standing up. It was a bizarre decision to come out. Was he spooked by Rashford's pace then as well? Is that why he slid in? And then Ericsson, like again, we get very lucky. Ericsson shoots with his left foot with the keeper 18 yards off his line on his fucking arse. You have time. You have a right foot. Fucking move it on to the right foot and put that in the net. Yeah. Martin has then slipped on his horse. <laughs> I mean, where where was the drainage? Where was the drainage for this one? <laughs> Fernandez tried to square it to Sabitzer. He sort of did not, neither shot nor played it to Sabitzer. And Martinez slips, and luckily Fernandez did neither of those two things. Because if he did, if he did shoot, if he did play it to Sabitzer, it was a goal. Yeah, I, I think Sabitzer half stops, half expecting Martinez to collect it, and definitely zero expectation of Emiliano Martinez doing his best Robin Olsen impression at Old Stafford. <laughs> oh, do you remember the Tyrone Tyrone Mings ball into midfield? Like he just, he I'll never forget that it. Ball. Oh, like he rolled it like you know, like you were throwing the ball between two brothers on summer holiday. Like you know, let's see who can win it. Who wants it? I'll, I'll, I'll pop it in here, and it's like, well, Sabitzer wants it. He wants it ahead of the Donker. He, we, we've just discussed it. Donker can't move. Sabitzer can. Thankfully, Sancho is really, really slow, and everybody catches up, and he does nothing with the ball. Yeah, and 
I, I'd say Mings must have had the fucking munchies shortly after this game because he was hallucinating here. I mean, he, he can't see the United players. The pass is a terrible idea, particularly to a midfielder who's standing there fucking daydreaming himself. Bonkers, <laughs> bonkers decision from Mings. But also as well, if you're playing centre midfield in a Premier League game that and the ball is currently in play, maybe do look to receive the ball from your fucking centre half. <laughs> yeah, well, like this, this is an axis that we should be worried about because there was an under-the-radar nomination in the second half. Mings to Dundunker again. I'm not. I'm not liking this. This do. Uh, like I don't know if you remember. Watkins laid one off. Like Mings played a forward. Watkins tried to lay it back, and it was a really bad pass back. So Mings had to mm. run to the sideline to retrieve it. Stands it up on the sideline, and then fucking laces it into the center circle. He just drilled that ball into Dundunker's head, who tried to get it away of his head some way, and like that happened. Really, it wasn't really a what the fuck moment, but it was. It was just like, what was that? What the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like, yeah, luckily Dendonker did get something on it because you could see Sancho in the background or in the foreground of the camera ready to pounce on it as well. That probably would have been fine, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. What um, what do you think wins? Like, I mean, Martinus slipping seems a bit more unlucky. The, I feel like the Ming's pass into Sabitzer is just a classic variety of the what the fuck. And like, remember... Sancho was through. He just he was just too slow, and and Kanza got in front of him, and Sancho fouled Kanza. <laughs> that's how we got away with that. If that was Rashford. That's a goal. What is the crack with Jaden Sancho? How, how did this lad cost eighty million? He's not even fast. <laughs> like that. Like you know, you think at bare minimum that amount of money he can move. He can't. Kanza walked in front of him. Like I said, Kanza didn't look like he was running particularly hard at any stage in that game, and he just walked in front of Sancho. The guy's a fucking joke. It's unbelievable. You've actually forgotten about two nominations here as well, or missed them, or fell asleep during the match, or just blanked it out. There's one where the ball is on the sideline, and Young volleys it back into the box. Like pretty, <laughs> pretty much overhead kicks it back into his own box. It was a Bertie T impression. And call me old-fashioned, I think if you're the right-back and you're on your own end line, do not impersonate Bertrand Terori. That, like, that is absolutely a no-no, especially for someone of Ashley Young's experience. And then it resulted in a Fernandez shot. It wasn't a particularly great shot or anything, but United had a shot immediately afterwards. It was ridiculous. And then there was another one as well, where United played a ball across the across the box, and Mings does really well to shift his feet and back heel it out of the box. And now Emiliano Buendia thinks we're all playing a big game of back heels and does it at the edge of the box. And Ashley Young, and I think it's... Maybe Dundonker are just running out of the box. What the way is the ball back in the D? What's happened here? We're supposed to be having a counter attack. Unbelievable. Well, well, well. You said do not impersonate Bertie T. You said we're all playing back heels. I only have one nomination for the Bertrand Ferrari. That was just filthy award. <laughs> and it's Tyrone Mings when I don't know how. There was a few of these moments when Villa were trying to attack not doing too too well at it but they were left open at the back it was three on one really bad pass from the right hand side United's right wing cut out by Mings who flicks it in between all three of them flicks it to the edge of his box I think that's the one we end up giving it away again that's Mings. the one I'm talking about that's the one <laughs> that, that encouraged Bendia <laughs> well I was just about to award Tyrone Mings but now you're telling me that this was actually had a bad effect on the team overall <laughs> Yeah, but that wasn't Tyrone Mings' fault. Let's give Tyrone Mings that award and then let's give Emiliana Buendia the What The Fuck Award. <laughs> what a lovely piece of symmetry to that piece of play that you had forgotten about, how it ended. 
Let's 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 elevate this during the podcast. We've talked about it now for a minute and a half, and you don't even fucking remember it happening. <laughs> I just remembered it back here. It was great. Uh, the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. Uh, Rashford got through and behind Konza. Mings held the line for Rashford, and it's a good save from Martin. It's uh, just just a really good like. I like those saves that I just I'll never be able to do it myself. <laughs> you know, where you're nutmegged, but you're able to move your body, you're able to drop your arse on the ball, even though it's passy. And it goes, yeah. it goes wide in the near post, very good. Yeah, if we're being honest, it's a, it's a really good run and a really good ball. And then, luckily enough, Femi Martinez makes himself huge. It's a pretty good finish from Rashford as well between the legs. But like you said, Martinez sits down quickly enough. Plenty of practice a fortnight ago running in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, Sabitzer half-volleyed one just over the ball. Not not long after one of Martinez's what-the-fuck moments. And then Villa finally got a chance it was... Moreno with the back posters. I was. I thought. I thought Buendia should have shot as well. He yeah. pulled back. He stood up. He he played it across the, the corridor of uncertainty, <laughs> and then Dalu just jumped on top of Watkins's head and uh, <laughs> fell to it fell to Moreno. The commentator actually said Dalu's done just enough there. It's like, yeah, Watkins, Watkins is not getting up for this move now, and uh, Moreno spanked it, but unfortunately spanked it straight into De Gea's feet. Yeah, it's a lovely ball from Ramsey to get Bundia in, and I, I think he should probably lace it. I mean, let's get De Gea involved in the game. And to be fair to Bundia, then he does do brilliantly when he doesn't shoot, and it's a lovely nutmeg and a lovely pass. But apparently nobody involved with Aston Villa Football Club knows that the rain is the only thing that falls more regularly in Manchester than Bruno Fernandes. So Watkins fucking slips like the rest of the team. Nobody, nobody appeared to have studs on. It was fucking so annoying. Yeah. And then, yeah, Moreno, it's a packed box. Maybe it could have had a bit more calmness. Maybe it could have roofed it. But, yeah, it's not a big deal that he missed. Yeah, I come back to the first half, but there was a really nice cross from Ashley Young at the start of the second half. And it's you think Watkins is going to get there. Lindelof does really well to get up in front of him. Dallow jumps into Watkins' back. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think if Lindelof doesn't head that clear then you know they might look at it a bit more because either way Watkins wasn't getting to it because Lindelof did the defending first and, and Dallow just followed up yeah it, it's it's a lovely ball out from Martinez lovely shape on the cross from Young and yeah Dallow does a mid-air John McGinn except John McGinn has the ball at his feet when he does it so it's not a foul <laughs> you can't arse someone in the air as they're going up for a header like I, I'm not demanding a penalty and it's, it's probably too late for that now anyway you know I I doubt they'll get everyone back out there to, to take it at this stage, you know, asking everyone asking everyone behind the goal how drunk they were, how rowdy they were, you know, how were you feeling at half three yesterday? I'm not demanding that. And like I say, I'm aware it's unlikely to happen. I'm not a weirdo. What I, I am asking... that United v. Brighton to do that. <laughs> It's a very good point, Conan. But of course, of course they did it for Man United. But what I am asking is for at least Michael, the Artful Dodger, to have any interest in it and for the broadcasting to tell us that he's had a look at it doesn't think it's a penalty because because Lindelof has flicked it that, that's a big fuck you have to tell us what's happened there Lindelof yeah. flicked it but would he have gotten there with such ease if fucking Ollie Watkins doesn't have to give Dallow a piggyback <laughs> uh, Buendia played one through to him again and you just it just shoots like this is the one that we were talking about when Walken scored against Newcastle, like that advice you're giving people to just just hit the ball earlier, so like you don't always have to get set. You'll fool the keeper sometimes by just shooting. He's waits too long. Molassi gets across and blocks it. 
we know Buendia is not going to be happy at that. Another assist denied for him. But this was <laughs> this was just nice movement. It was Buendia into Watkins. Watkins got turned really nice, and he gives it to Buendia again. And then he played McGinn through, who was coming from right to left across the box, and so was Malasia. Yeah, lovely little bit of play. And you're right, he has to shoot earlier, and he has to get David Hay involved in the game. <laughs> Ah, uh, Jacob Ramsey. Does he even know? Does he even know he's in? Like Moreno just played it. Like I don't understand how he got through this easy. Moreno just rolled the threes. Oh, here you go, you're in. And it's just <laughs> such a bad touch from Jacob Ramsey. It doesn't even matter if he if he isn't because the touch wouldn't let him in anyway. He has to go back out and retrieve his first touch. But then his ball into Watkins is just rushed from that moment on. It's hacked and it's, uh, Watkins tries the overhead then, which is embarrassing for all of us. <laughs> it's an absolutely dreadful effort from Hawkins. The ball, the ball is slightly behind JJ, but he, he's not calm enough. He's rushing to get it out of his feet, and then the decision to cross it high with his left foot—it's strange, yeah. strange. If I'm being kind, it's not on. He needs to fizz that. He needs to get David the Hay involved in the game. He needs to. <laughs> he, he needs to ask Lindelof if he can sort his feet out there. He needs to put that ball across the ground, and he needs to put it and a lot. He needs to give Ollie Watkins a chance of winning the ball. Yeah, and I thought I thought he was going to open up for that shot at the edge of the box that I've been wanting him to do, and he did. It was Buendia into Watkins, flicked out to Ramsey again. Some 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 bits of nice play here that we. I'm not going to say we're too quick to forget about it because it was it was a slog for a lot of the game, but we did. We're, we're, we're talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, right now. But Lindelof, this fucker again, comes across and blocks it. And poor Lindelof really, he really did get attached to Harry Maguire there, didn't he? Unfairly. <laughs> Very good block. Like I think that Ramsey shot was going places. It's lovely from Bundia initially, and it's a gorgeous drop off from Watkins. Great feet from Ramsey, and I think I think Lindelof does brilliantly to get across. I mean, I think I think if that's Konza putting the block in, we'd be praising Konza rather than calling Fernandez a cunt. Well, that's probably not a great example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that was Rashford who got blocked by Konza. Did <laughs> uh, a nice ball from Ramsey to put Watkins. Away. It's just it's good weight on the pass. Puts Watkins in. And then he hits it across. I was sort of thinking, is he going to shoot with his left? But he plays it across and falls out to Dougie. His first shot is pathetic. And then <laughs> I think his second shot's amazing. He's thinking, right, fuck this. I'm leaving no doubt. I'll just whip this into the top corner. And then the last big fucking head is in the way. <laughs> this guy couldn't get out of the way today. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. It's the first one. It's the problem. He has to score that. The, the, the second one is actually a good finish. He pulls it across his body. He sends two or three of them the wrong way. One of them's De Gea, so he doesn't count. And he hits it high as well. And the, the annoying thing is, if it's six inches higher or lower, it's a goal. I mean, it's it's brilliant from brilliant defender from Lindelof again. You know, broken clocks and all that. But it's... <laughs> It's it's a really good height for him as well. I mean, if if he smashes that in at chin height, let's see if he can get it, if he can jaw this clear. But it's it's a really it's a really good piece of defending from Lindelof. Yeah, the last nomination, I think it has to be the winner. Sorry, did Konza block a Tyrone Mings header in the eighty fifth minute? <laughs> well, like, like this is the routine that we should score from once again. Like yeah. you know, they, we should have to score from this every game. Though it's it's ridiculous, and all Konza needs to do is fucking spin and get himself out of the way. But the only thing is spinning his fucking head, and he just he stands in front of the ball. He could have hipped that into the net. That was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he just hipped it away. Like he just did anything to get this ball away from danger. It was fucking crazy. Um, I think that's the winner just because it's so it was so annoying. Maybe the Dougie Louise Lindelof thing as well, but like that was the one. Like we got a good header on it. 
De Gea will have to come into the game if he can do anything about it, and Kanza intervenes. Yeah, I think that has to win. There was one at the very end as well, the Callum Chambers on the half volley. I mean, he has to put that into the top corner, a player of his ability. A, <laughs> Good strike. A, a, a player you were demanding comes on and pings one in from the halfway line only last week, and this is where he's at. Do you connect him with the ball well? But I want to see the fucking net ripple as well. Pathetic. Well, well, I'm going to give you a little insight into the Vyman meter. I'm going to jump ahead very briefly because going down, I have Luke Shaw for denying us a Callum Chambers overhead kick. <laughs> I mean, we know Watkins isn't going to do it, but like, fuck me. I would not put a pass Callum Chambers. You put that bad boy in the top corner. But like that, that, that was, I don't think, I don't think Callum Chambers should be attempting an overhead kick there. He has to know there's too many players around. And as soon as his foot goes, what, 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 what height is Luke Shaw, five foot four. As soon as his foot goes that high, the ref, the ref is given a free or given a free kick out. I bet it was a really bad decision to attempt an overhead kick there because he knows there's too many bodies in there. All somebody has to do is put their head in the general direction of the ball, and it's a free out. Silly decision. I thought that really fucking infuriated me. Nah, nah. I think Callum Chambers got that this game was crying out for a Callum Chambers overhead. The <laughs> uh, Glen Whedon. You let Glenn Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award. The free kick on the byline. Let's talk about Austin McPhee. You've got two nominations here for Austin McPhee. The free the free kick on the byline in the second half for us. And McGinn, he has a nice pass, but it has to go the whole way across to the far side of the box, the far corner of the box, onto Douglas Louise's right foot, where of course it gets blocked. Has to travel a long way on the deck. Like that would be terrible defending. It's Luke Shaw got out to block it in the end. But like, fuck, it's traveling for seconds. Somebody's going to get out to block it of all the 11 United players in the box. Yeah, so there's two things that were really, really problematic with that. Three things. The distance it had to travel, you're right, so everybody can get set again. The ball is also going past everybody who's in the box already. So the ball is now behind everybody again. So Douglas Louise has to put it back across everybody <laughs> who's currently in the box. And the third thing that's unbelievably frustrating about that, Jacob Ramsey was standing right there. Jacob Ramsey was a much easier... The ball whips past Jacob Ramsey. Yeah. He should have just rolled it to Jacob Ramsey. And he wouldn't have shot because he was at the edge of the box. <laughs> and then on the Austin McPhee theme, where's the throw-in coach? Well, apparently we've got this set-piece specialist. He's working on all these sorts of different things. And it's, you know what? It's always a different thing as well. We rarely just keep the same routine for, from game to game, even if it works. Um, but do you know what happened a lot in this game? Somebody does really well to win a throw. They've, they've held the ball. They're isolated. They're out of options. And we need the pressure taken off. And they win the throw. And they get their applause from their away fans. And even the commentators, they acknowledge them that they did well there. And then we just throw the ball away anyway. It's like, what was the point of that? We just throw, <laughs> we're still out of options. We throw the ball, usually to the same person who's absolutely gassed. And he gets it taken <laughs> off him. Connor, I know, I know you're not demanding that we bring back in... Uh some sort of throw-in routine. That can't, can't possibly be what happened. I don't want to, I want this podcast to be accused of being a mess of contradiction. <laughs> don't want the complicit in bringing Matt Cash back over to the left wing <laughs> to throw the ball 13 metres. Uh, any other nominations for the Hugh Declan Whedon taking a 90th minute penalty? I mean, should we should we nominate you and I, Emery, for not scoring a goal in this match, like for not getting us... <laughs> I, I think there's two things. There was there was the attempt at the offside trap. I think, fair enough, that's the way we play. 
And luckily enough, United didn't really seem to know the rule in the first half. But it, it also looked like Villa didn't know how Marcus Rashford plays, how Fernandez, Eriksen and Sabitzer like to come from deep. I mean, we were fucking split open so many times in that yeah. first half. It was laughable. And I know Mings and Kanza have recovery pace and we normally have a lot more of the ball. But they weren't recovering in those games and we didn't have the ball in that game and we didn't have the ball in that game either. So the offside trap that we were playing, the line that we were holding was probably too high for the game that was in it and we should have adjusted it a lot earlier in the first half because we were asking for trouble. And then the second thing is it's it's the setup. I mean, Ten Hag set up to play against Aston Villa and, and it was really fucking effective. I mean, they closed the spaces better than, than anyone we've played against, I think. They used their extra midfielder brilliantly. Shifting Casemiro across to Ramsey, Shaw stepping out to Buendia, Dallow stepping up on Moreno. There, you know, there was an there was an asymmetry in their man to man marking, and a, and it worked really well against our asymmetric attack. And I thought they got it absolutely spot on. And it was a really fucking difficult game to watch, and I can't imagine how difficult it was to play in as well. Yeah. But we set up the way we set up, which which is fine. You know, it's brilliant to have the basic structure structure, and it's. It's a brilliant basic structure, but but I want to see a bit more game to game management for two reasons. We've seen we've seen as the quality of the opposition and the quality of the opposition managers has gone up the last three games. We're not we're not making as many inroads, and we don't we don't have as much control in the games, particularly in the two away games that we've played. And secondly, what was the fucking plan for Lindelof and Shaw? Like how how are we getting after that? Within our overall structure, how are we going to take advantage of that massive problem? Harry Maguire came on with about 10 minutes left to play as well. <laughs> what was the plan to get after that? Honestly, play the way we play brilliantly. Of course we should. That's what Unai Emery has been coaching and it's been unbelievably effective. But come on. The back two is Lindelof and Shaw. Do something about it. So I wonder... It's two things that we, we know his hands are, are tied a little bit with a good bit with the options that he has. He has to play the same 11. Everybody knows he's going to play that 11. He's got no subs to change the game in reality. Just got subs for some fresh legs. Two subs, really. And then I wonder if because it had gone so well then, because I thought like that this is what he's known for, is changing it and surprising teams and setting up in different ways and things like that. Like like the Newcastle game, for example, they went a bit longer normally, you know, when Newcastle were trying to set up to press Aston Villa. But I think, did they just fall back on, look, this is going really well, the way we've been playing. Like, we, we've, we haven't lost in 10 games. Let's just keep doing this. And maybe maybe they'll, they'll be a bit more emboldened again now, to have, game to game, have a bit more of a strategy where it's hard when it's going well. It's like, why would you change it? Is, is it too... Is it too risky or, or, like, are you going to be blamed too much then if you do change it when it is going well? It's like, why did we change that? Uh, yeah, I, de- I definitely think that's a part of it. But I also think the first 15, 20 minutes, we looked absolutely shell-shocked. And it was clear to me, so it was definitely clear to Emery that United had cottoned on. United had set up perfectly for this game, so we had to change our setup and then test to see if Ten Hag was ready for us to do something differently. I, I don't. I'm not sure what it could have been. Could he have swapped Wendia and Ramsey around? Would that have made much of a difference? Should he have got into the game with John Duran starting up front yeah. and playing Wendia on the left? Maybe I'm not sure. Obviously, Unai Emery is a brilliant coach and he's thought about how to set up the team, but it didn't fucking work. And it was really clear early on that it wasn't working. Not only was it not working, we were getting fucking overrun. And United had just 
they were they were set up perfectly they were absolutely set up we're talking about really nice pieces of play that we had but they were really nice pieces of play it wasn't like you know it, it wasn't like we were we were constantly getting chances we were constantly getting in so yeah. few of them were actually shots only one of them led to a shot on target the way we were playing was was on United's terms and we just got through a couple of times because we're a good team yeah yeah it would be nice to surprise a team like that especially when you're on these runs of form just to come with something completely different obviously that helps when you've got more options but yeah like Duran's actually a good example it's like wouldn't it have been cool to just bang suddenly we're playing Duran as well and then it's like Jesus like we we, we didn't train for this all week because they, they know like Villa would have known that United were setting up this way of course they would have like it's like everybody knows how we're playing they know our first 11 they, they know what it has to be more than anything else so and, and they know where our weak links are as well and never mind how to stop our strengths and they and I feel like they went at it right down to the Rashford thing as well. And like uh, it, this probably feeds nicely into the Vyman meter. And I've got Watkins going down and you know, sort of in jest, but it's three games that he hasn't scored now. But also, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, like, you know, did he think he was going to be able to just run through the middle in every game? <laughs> like, it's not, it's not always going to be that easy. And like, yeah, if, if you're scoring. 11 goals in 12 games teams are going to be analyzing why <laughs> they're going to make sure that doesn't happen so that they united did that in two ways i think they they cut the supply up they were meeting villa higher up so they weren't getting turned as easily that kanza to dougie to buendia line wasn't there and i know buendia was able to create chance but it wasn't from douglas louise in the center circle pushing it forward to him pushing it forward to Watkins. the way we were just doing over and over and like we're talking about Watkins' goals. We know the chances he missed in that role as well. So that that that's the only target, and they also targeted that gap in between the centre halves that he likes to occupy. Like it's, you know, they they know that he's up there on his own largely, so they can close that down as well. And I would have liked to have seen a bit more. Not not this isn't all on Watkins. This is also on the the way we're setting up then as well. It's like can we feed this boy in a different way? Can we can we get him a couple of more balls? Like we, I don't even think we. We got it up to his chest. He, did, he didn't seem to get anybody mm-hmm. onto his back and use it that way. I feel like United were either stepped off him or, or hitting him higher up. It was, um, I don't know. Yeah, I just felt like he was a bit more quiet today as well. Ah, yeah, but other than Ollie Watkins going down, I'd be putting, I'd be putting ten high up as much as it hurts me. I, I, I just think the, the way the way that they let let Casemiro take care of Ramsey. They didn't let the fullback didn't get dragged inside, so that didn't free up the space for Moreno. Fernandez dropped back into midfield as well. I just think they had it. I just think they, their setup on that side of the pitch was was so perfect, and that's the side of the pitch that we're getting all the walk-ins goals from. And it just it just wasn't there today. It wasn't it wasn't there at all. And maybe had we played Wendy on that side, like obviously we weren't gonna just fucking drop John Duran into a game at Old Trafford for his first fucking start. That would have been bonkers. But had we played Buendia on the left wing and just let him go completely, Ramsey has freedom, but Buendia takes freedom to the next level. You know, he's like a fucking Southern American on 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 steroids. You know, he's not like he he'll just go anywhere on the pitch. And then let's see if Casemiro will follow him everywhere. He mightn't have. And I, I, I we had I think we had to do something, especially after the first twenty minutes, especially as well because Ramsey. Ramsey looked like he was being bullied out there a lot of the times. Like, you know, Casemiro being dropped onto Ramsey was perfect because of the noise that Casemiro has and the power he has and the protection he had from the referee. Like, you know, everything was going in Casemiro's favour in that in that one-on-one situation. And then that just shut out Moreno as well because Fernandez and Dallo had him. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, going down, I have Ezra Kanza going down. You know, I love Kanza. Just uh, he was making me heart sink all over today, and especially when he's blocking our own shots. <laughs> I wonder, is it just again? I referenced this earlier. Is is Ezra Kanza just such a thoroughbred that he needs dry ground, Conan? Because <laughs> he didn't, he honestly didn't look as fast. He didn't look like he was running as quickly as he can. Bizarre yeah. stuff. All around when he was running beside Jaden Sancho, obviously. <laughs> going down. I mean, I think the easy thing would be to say Douglas Louise, but I'm going to say Bubakar Kamara. Where is he? <laughs> well, don't ask the fucking Aston Villa social media team anyway. <laughs> it is, it's, just, it's just annoying. I got that blaming him, obviously, he's injured. But it's just frustrating. This boy could be our best player. We don't know. We just haven't seen him enough yet. I think he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Come on, just give me the doggy Booba Axis. I need that. Yeah. Talk about a surprise. Let's drop that in. I want the social media account to throw a curveball, say no update, or like give me the shit update that you normally give me, and then drop Kamara in anyway. Who cares? <laughs> so, what you've lied to us and we're all delighted about it. <laughs> yeah, so what as well? Because you know, it's not as if he would have been any worse than Leander than Donker, even with one leg. <laughs> but also, there is that. Like I know this doesn't really happen in professional football, um, professional <laughs> sports people. But there's only a few games left. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, like you're gonna get injured. This is the time now. Like, it's, it's, like you're coming back trying to foul somebody getting injured. Like, come, come back now. We've got four, four games left now. Five. It's, it's, it's all on the line. Like we need. This we need is back. the time. This is the time to take risks with multi-million pound assets. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, think, think how much money we'll make if, if, if think how much we have to make. Risk reward, four matches left. Bobakar Kamara, look me in the eye and tell me. <laughs> yeah. Um anybody do you have anybody going up from the Aston Villa point of view? Ken Hag, turns out you're his biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're two seconds away from singing one hag. <laughs> Just listen to last week's podcast. I think I'll tell you what I think of Ten Hag. <laughs> but you know, Aston Villa fans going up maybe for for the shouts of handball. Whenever the United fans shouted for handball yeah. after after the ball hit Ashley Young in his stomach with his hands by his side as well. I mean, I know I know most United fans can't tell their arse from their elbow, but that was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it is like the, the thing annoys me most about that is the players shouting for it as well. Molasse was really appealing, and then the commentators. Not their fault, but they're duty bound to now talk about it. United players are appealing for a handball, so you, like your you, your ear is tuned in over years to like these rhythms of a football match. And when the commentator says something like that, it's like oh my god! And then we get the replay, and it's it skims his chest as well. Barely <laughs> even touches his chest. Like his, his chest is hardly even guilty in the scenario. <laughs> Go, going down as well, I'm surprised you didn't bring it up on WhatsApp Winches, was the, the four minutes of added time at the end. I mean, there was definitely more time to be added on than that, but then the ref wasted a minute and a half, maybe, booking Fred for wasting time. Yeah. And and he got Konza to retake the subsequent free kick as well. And it's not like it's not like when he did blow it up, the ball had made its way back to Martinez. Man, you know, they were penned in. They had yeah. a shit clearance. And we had the ball. Let the cross come in. Give it 10 seconds. Particularly because you've just taken 50 seconds off us. <laughs> that's twice in a row, though. Like, that's twice in a row. Villa have had the ball, like, two games in a row. They've had the ball in a position like that. Within 20 yards of the opposition, go, like, we end up, like, look at Dean, end up just spank him on as the whistle went. You know, he just hit it in vain in the end. But it's like, just, just leave it a couple of seconds and see how this attack goes. And not... Not because of all, oh, let's see how they attack. Like you say, because you've denied us 50 seconds, just give us one more ball into the box. Just let me launch it one more time. 
But imagine how good Fred is feeling about himself today. Like he wasted time, and then the ref did it for him. He was trying to waste time. The ref stopped him immediately, and then wasted the time for him anyway. Fucking yeah. idiot. <laughs> Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Where would Aston Villa be without Steven Gerrard right now? <laughs> and like the only, the only argument for Steven Gerrard that I've heard so far is Bobakar Kamara. And where is he? Where is he right now? <laughs> <laughs> Enough picking on Kamara. But uh, like we, we wasted 14 games at the start of the season, 12 of those with Gerrard. Uh, so you and I, Emery's had 20 games so far. Look what he's done with this. Like, look, he's got Villa into their seventh at the minute. They're, I know, they're only two ahead of Brighton, who have three games in hand, but they're joint with Spurs. They're two off Liverpool. Like, we were talking about them in the Champions League there. Very briefly, it's gone now. But like, this is what he did with, with 20 matches. We just wasted 14 games. And I know I know everybody wanted to give Gerrard the summer, give him his preseason that he never shut up about. But like, God, I should have known. He should have just checked in in the training ground during July, August. He should have just taken the temperature of the room, seen how miserable everybody was, seen how how confrontational Gerard was, seen like seen how useless the training must have been, and how, <laughs> and how much everybody was regressing. Just take the action there and then, just make the calculated call, or or just intervene at the Bournemouth game and say, okay, look, you got your preseason. This is what you've come up with. See you later. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a really good manager who's going to come. Like, well, obviously, not obviously, but like, obviously they could have convinced him. So just get him in when you could. Like, just make that play earlier. Feel it out earlier so you could have even making the, the change after six games or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this midweek. Not this exactly, but, you know... We got nine points against Bournemouth, Frank Lampard, Palace, West Ham, Arsenal, City, Southampton, Leeds, Forest, Chelsea, and Fulham. That is fucking ridiculous. And if and if we were to get just fifteen points from the obvious fifteen points that I've just read read out there, Stephen Gerrard still should have been sacked because he wouldn't have got anything against Palace, West Ham, and we would and you know fucking Fulham. We would we would have been shit still. And if we, if he had got those fifteen points, if he was in any way competent, we'd have sixty points now. We'd be six ahead of Spurs. We'd be eight ahead of Brighton. Who'd have three games in hand, but one of them's against us. And that's the really important thing to focus on, Connor. And it's still in our hands. The re- the really annoying thing is, of course, that we're probably not going to get there. And then Liverpool and Spurs are going to qualify for a tournament that they're going to end up fucking forfeiting. A tournament that they have no interest in winning. They should be asked at the end of the season, do yeah. you want to be in the Europa League? Do you want to be in the Conference League? And if not, we'll give it to the next available team. That's yeah. how it should fucking go. It's ridiculous. These two teams are going to be in it, playing second field teams until maybe they get to the semi-final. If they get that far, then they'll take it seriously and then they'll just fucking win it as well, which would be the even more annoying thing. But... Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Like the, the purity of the Villa fans, all just gagging for any type of European football. Like they, and they'll snap everybody's arm, shoulder off for a bit of Conference League action. Like, and then you have, <laughs> you have teams like Liverpool and Spurs turning up their nose at it. Like, he would gladly give it over as well. It's the thing they, they don't want to do this to us. They just keep winning games. Like this is. The <laughs> and the, the the other thing I was thinking of as well. Then whenever I went into that pit of Stephen Gerrard depression, I was thinking. Frank Lampard getting back into management is probably the worst thing that could possibly have happened to Steven Gerrard. 
Because now people are people you can't help but equate that to you and people are just gonna be looking at it going, ah no, this this was this was terrible. What were we thinking given these lads' jobs in the Premier League at the top tier of football? Look at the fucking statement. There's no way that anybody who would be inclined to hire Steven Gerrard wouldn't be looking at Frank Lampard as well and just putting them into the same category. Yeah. Who do you think's worse? <laughs> Come on, Frank Lampard's worse. You think so? Do you actually think ah, so? Ah, yeah. Frank Lampard's way worse. Yeah, but I don't know. Apparently, he gave good presentations as well when he's going for <laughs> It's brilliant. It's, Jesus, what? Like, how... It's not even full circle. How life changes. How like how we all get old and decline, fall over the hill. You know, we used to be who's better, Stephen Gerrard or Frank Lampard. That was it for fifteen years, and not not like what three years into their management careers. Who do you think is worst of, of these two chumps? Like I actually ended up every time I see Frank Lampard, I end up googling Les Reed. Remember the old Charlton manager. <laughs> Really good sporting director of Southampton, as it turned out in the end. But I, I always just go back to him to see his record and see how it stacks up against Frank Lampard. It's, it's incredible stuff. Just desperately hoping that Frank Lampard does end up with the accolade of the worst Premier League manager of all time. <laughs> like he's going past Frank De Boer. It's incredible. <laughs> and like I said, he's got two football clubs to pick from here. He's got two full squads, and he hasn't won a fucking game. Anyway. Sorry to bring everybody <laughs> down that Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard rabbit hole. It's just depressing. Like, you know what? Even when it's going well there, um, uh, you know, somebody said to me one time, you need to you need to let go of Stephen Gerrard. But it's like, no, when it's going, like, that, that's what makes it better. That's the, we had this guy at the start of the season. And when I think about him, when it's going well, it's like, oh, Jesus, like this. We, we could have been stuck with this for a bit longer. We could have been listening to him saying he's going to sell everybody. That's how he's going to improve things. Instead, <laughs> we got a manager just working a bit of magic. But it's hard to fully appreciate that when, you know, if you had got him in earlier, what might have been. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> is that what you all wanted? Is it, is it what you wanted? <laughs> We're back away to Wolves, and if, if you're lucky, Villa might lose again, and you'll all get excited and you'll all flock <laughs> to the podcast. But um, yeah, it should be a normal record on that Saturday. Uh, that's the next game up. Then it's Spurs, then it's Liverpool, then it's Brighton and Hove Albion. So there's, hopefully there's something on the line for that match. But two away games, two home games. We will see you on Saturday. Thanks a million for listening. Subscribe, share it on if you haven't, and all the rest. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you then. All the best. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.